0: Are these? How are producers like you, who did not get hand-selected as a new all-star on an established record label, able to get music into the hands of true fans while taking your career to the next level? How are we able to take our tracks and projects we believe in out into the world for pay and still stay true to our creative vision? These are the questions, and this podcast will give you the answers. I'm Kay Brown, and this is You're With the DJ, co hosted by Nikki Berry. Welcome back to another episode of You're With the DJ on the Fade In Network. We want to thank all of you who participated in our launch last week. We ended up top 10 US for music interviews, top 5 in Canada, and then top 100 in the United Kingdom. So, thank you all so much for for your support in making the show a success. In our most recent episode, we went ahead and talked with Bob City Beats about him finding his sound and where he has found inspiration over time. In this episode, we talk with Jesse Saunders about the new In Their Own Words book, detailing the history of house music from perspectives of all different fans and other parties. It is my pleasure to bring this interview to you. Without further ado, Faden brings you Jesse Saunders in their own words. Can you tell us a bit about the In Their Own Words project?
1: A bit? Uh, It could actually turn out to be a lot, (laughs) but Okay. (laughs) So the In Their Own Words project was meant to be something that was different than anything else that's really been out there in the sense that I've done numerous documentaries, TV series, films, TV shows, you name it. And basically it's always the same thing. It's the same people saying the same thing and most of them embellishing or outright lying about it. And it just gets to a point where it's kind of like, How many times do we have to hear you like stretch the truth tremendously? And then it's not even the same thing every time. So what I wanted to do was not feature people who are the prominent ones, the Mm -hmm. big name DJs and artists and stuff. Cause really honestly and truthfully, why do they even really matter? To be honest, you know what I'm saying? It's like they're there anyway, you're going to see them. You're going to hear their stuff and whatnot. Mm -hmm. People that matter are the ones who never get heard. The ones who have the real stories, the stories behind the stories, the people who can tell you things that no one else has the same perspective as they do. You know, that's interesting to me. The other stuff just wasn't interesting. So, and plus, you know, I've always been on this quest to try to to um, set the record straight, so to say. So, because, you know, in, in history, it gets diluted so much by people, you know, trying to put themselves in a place that half the time they weren't even there and they're really kind of making it up, but you know, they have some semblance of coming along in the evolution. It's like, well, why can't you just stick to that? You know, let the, the real history shine through instead of it getting clogged up. Cause you have so many different ideas from people and, and stories they've told of things that just aren't, the truth. Right. <laughs> you know, and, and I just got tired of hearing it. So you were like, me, I was there
0: too. Come on.
1: Let's do it. Yeah. It's kind of, man, I even did like one of the projects I did, I got so fed up with it, we named it I Was There. It's like That's awesome. The real people that I put in the, in, you know, as as co-producer and everything were actually there. These right. weren't people who said they were there or mm-hmm. said they had something to do. So that project was kind of cool. And it's like for me, I don't want to do anything that where it just follows the same flow and the same old story and so on and so forth. I want to give you a perspective of that person that was in the back of the room or another one that came in later or whatever. And they saw things from three different angles or four different angles. It's like, why you don't need to hear from me. It's like, I was up in, on the DJ stand looking down at everybody. I don't know what was going on. <laughs> You're playing all, records. All I, can yeah. tell you, yeah, all I can tell you is what the music <laughs> like I <was> that <laughs> I play and whatnot. I can't <laughs> tell you like how they, they danced or what they looked like or how they felt or, you know, they dress. I'm not paying attention to that stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. But anyway, that was the reason reasoning behind the stories is to give real people with their real stories a chance. Because for me, you know, a regular person is not gonna embellish themselves because they're just gonna tell you what they felt and when they got there.
0: And what so, it meant to them.
1: And anyway, what it meant to them, how huh? it made them feel. Yeah. Yeah,
2: Absolutely. that's so important to love, to know where mm-hmm. all of this history comes from. Uh um, yeah, hear mean, it from people who are a part of it. That's yeah how you learn, I mean, you know.
1: Because you think about it, it's like the journalists who write about it and do the things, they don't know. They're (laughs) trying to get information from sources (laughs) that they think are reliable because this person came out of this crew or this particular area or this era or whatever it happens to be. So as far as they know, it's like, okay, well, if they said that's the way it was and that's the way it was and and it's like i see so many so many articles and things written and i'm just like no that's not true it's like why would you print some? why don't you do your research before you print stuff like that because you're like perpetuating a myth and that myth starts to catch on and it gets perpetuated and sooner down the line you know, like someone like myself comes along who was actually there and did it. And I say, no, that's not the way it was. And they're looking at me like, I'm crazy. What do you mean? It's like, that's not the way it was. I'm like, well, who told you the way it was? Well, we talked to, so I was like, but they weren't there. How can they tell you how it was? <laughs> you know? Right. Oh, well, they said they were there. I was like, yeah, what they say and what they actually were are usually two totally different things. So.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's really cool. I loved it. I thought it was really mm-hmm. awesome. I love the, you know, my, I was asking, my dad's from Arlington Heights. So mm-hmm. he was telling me about all the, you know, the, what was it? Playground? Was it Playground? Is that what yep, the, the club was thinking about? Yeah. Yep, <laughs> playground, is, the death, like. <laughs> yeah. yeah, cool. I mean, and like.
1: Yeah, that's cool. I mean, we usually ask.
2: Yeah, exactly. Um, mm-hmm. We usually ask people like how they fa- fell in love with music and how they found their sound. But I feel like, like you're a legend. Like I feel like that's a dumb question to ask. You. I had a
1: dollar for how many times I get told that. <laughs> <laughs> like okay, <laughs> like, I guess I, I guess I am, but you know, it's kind. Of, hmm. I guess I am. I just I lived that. my life, really. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like I don't feel like anything different or special. Just, but, yeah, go ahead. Connected
0: to what means the most to you in music, and that's important, yeah. and it had impact, yeah. and it's still yeah. does. Yeah, exactly.
2: So I mean, I guess a better question would be, what has been like kind of navigating? literally navigating the landscape of the industry as it's changed over the past 30, 40 years. Do you think it's better? Do you think it's worse? I mean, there's so many
1: different.
2: It's better in
1: some ways and worse than others. You know, I mean, obviously the fact that we can move ahead with technology and whatnot to a great degree is better. In some cases, it's really not, you know, (laughs) because I say technology was the best and worst thing to happen to music
0: Mm -hmm. or entertainment
1: business in general. Yeah. You know, it's good because it made it accessible. I mean, like, look at what we never would have been able to do this, you know, 10 years ago, you right. know, <laughs> Hell, let alone 20 or 30 years ago. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and, you know, it's good. It pushed the envelope ahead in terms of like, you know, music production and video production and all kinds of other things like that. But. As far as the music is concerned, I think it's probably been one of the worst things because it allows people who really shouldn't be trying to make music, the ability to make music. And yeah. consequently, it clogs up everything, the sound waves, the airwaves with a lot of stuff that really is not very good. And it's hard to find the good stuff.
0: It's a little you bit know? of noise going on. It's yeah. a That's lot seriously. of
1: noise. You know, I mean, you think about like when I first started. You know, we, were, we actually had vinyl records that we were like manufacturing and promoting and distributing. And I mean, just on one release, we could sell 10, 20,000, 30,000 or more just in our city. Wow. Now, you can't even sell 500 downloads worldwide. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, yeah. electronic. I mean, if it gets anywhere near that, I mean, you th- think about like even a pop song. You think about like uh, Pharrell's song, Happy right, which was the most streamed song of the year. The year was out and he still only made $3,500. Yeah, that's, like, insane. that's insane.
2: And now it's gonna right? be stuck in my head all night. <laughs> like,
1: right? Yeah. I mean, if that song had come out 10 years earlier, oh 20 God. years earlier, it would have been quadruple platinum. And, you know, yeah. it's, it's just amazing. Definitely, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> that's
2: insane. I miss records. I just started collecting records again.
1: Yeah, I, I just uh, licensed some stuff to a vinyl label, and this was so funny to me. And they're like, yeah, we'd like to release it, like my, my Jesse catalog was the original label Yeah, they put out on us. Like, we'd like to release some of that stuff. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, well, it's just sitting there, you know, and I, if you want to do it, fine. And it's like, yeah, well, well, we're only gonna do 500 copies and this and that, and I'm like, well, okay, well, why only 500? It's like, because that's about all the markets. I'm thinking like, okay, well, <laughs> what's the point (laughs) if you're only gonna do 500 but hey if that's your market and that's what you do great because obviously if they want to do that number then that's a number that actually they make a profit from or whatever which is cool and you know they paid a pretty good license fee for so i was really surprised
2: (laughs) yeah i'll Mm -hmm. take
1: it more power to you you know (laughs) yeah
2: so what do you think um cuz kind of in the 80s there were all these different music venues popping up where you know DJs would perform how has kind of the idea of the venue changed over time for you
1: well what's happened with venues unless it's like a true underground thing they become too commercial yeah. By far, because especially for this generation, this generation has no clue what going to a club to actually dance to get music is about. They have <laughs> yeah, no I'll idea. I'll admit I they don't. Think... <laughs> I probably don't. Yeah, it's like I think that this, <laughs> this stuff that's it. being played out, they actually think it's good. And I was I was talking to somebody today, just just in general, like you take trap music and all the rest of the stuff. It's like kind of like trap is like the worst thing ever to happen to music. I mean, seriously, because it's like It takes no skill whatsoever. It's like they don't even use real musicians to do it who actually could understand melody structure and progressions and stuff because that's not what it's about. And then it's like any old person who thinks they can rap, just get on top of it and do something. And people think that that is pop music. I mean, it's the funniest thing. People will will run up to you and request stuff like, you know, something. I look at them like... They don't even look like a person who would even like it, you know. But right. they're like requesting it. And I'm thinking, like, are you serious? <laughs> and sometimes I like to to pick their brain and be like, okay, well, so so what do you actually like about this? Yeah. Oh, it, it's I just like the beat. Like the beat is so rudimentary. I've heard that beat like ten thousand times. In that song. Yeah, know. Like, what are you talking about? Oh well, you know what? The, I was like, they're not talking about anything either. All you are talking about is bitches and hoes and how much sex they can give, or yeah. who they're gonna beat up, or whatever. It's like mm-hmm. that's interesting to you. <laughs> I'm just, I don't get it. Okay,
2: yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. And they'll dance to really it, it for hours. <laughs> like, yeah.
1: For- <laughs> and the thing about it is, is, trap has no energy behind it. It's a basic beat. You know what I mean? It has. If you if you put like like some syncopation into say the hi hats or snares or even like a kick drum or something, then that will generate more energy. But these are just straight ahead boom tap boom boom tat boom boom yeah. boom boom. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's it's so yeah. basic. It's just like, come on, man, really? <laughs> I
2: get it. <laughs> totally fair. Mm -hmm. So kind of going off that, there's a lot of, like you said, there's a lot of people out there who think that, who want to make music, want to start producing. What kind of advice would you give to people who are just starting out? And how would that advice differ from maybe advice you were given when you first started out?
1: I give them the same advice I got. Go take some music classes. Learn how to play. (laughs) Learn what notes and chords are and (laughs) progressions and how to play melodies and things like that and what basic song structure is. And, you know, before you attempt to try to make music. I mean, that's what the problem is. You got a bunch of people who don't understand music making music. Yeah. You know? And I'm not saying I never was like a person who had to be classically trained and just know everything about it, but I took piano lessons. I took drum lessons, I took guitar. and So I understood basic structure and -hmm. and time signatures and so on and so forth. And and it's like, that was one of the common misconceptions in the beginning when I started is people thought that because I was a DJ, you know, and they were a DJ, they could just make some music too, not knowing like my musical background. But (laughs) that was also the best thing to happen too because it opened up a gateway and a door for people to try something they never would have tried before. So a lot of people came through that door that had been successful and actually made started to make good music. I mean, you look at somebody like a, a Steve Hurley. Steve Hurley went on to like, you know, be gra- nominated for a Grammy five times. You got Maurice wow. Joshua, who's won a Grammy. You got, Roger, I mean, just all these people, you know, right. that never would have gotten there had it not been for them seeing something, you know, that I was doing and feeling they could do it too, or they could do it better, you know? Yeah. So.
2: Yeah, I don't think how, I was reading, like, um, when they first started pressing the records, something about they changed the size of the groove to make the beat matching. I mean, I know nothing about this, so I probably sound stupid, but, like, <laughs> I don't think people okay. realize, like, how hard it was to, like, do oh, yeah. that. Like,
1: It was really there. Well, you know, what, what they meant by that was that <laughs> when you had an album, if you ever pick up an album, you'll see, like, it has five songs on the side. So you see right. five different like little stripes in it. That's the beginning of the songs or whatnot right. or the end or whatever. So in between, you'll see these real tight grooves as it spins around. So the tighter the groove, the less dynamics you can have, which means you can less bass, less treble, less highs and lows or whatever. So for a 12-inch Where it was only one song and you know that song could be six seven eight nine minutes or whatever you could widen the grooves which would give you a much bigger dynamic range. and that was the whole thing is like they were trying to get all the sound as much as you could out of this record because album versions didn't have much in it you could tell they were very light the bass wasn't coming cutting through right even like the, the snares and stuff hitting they wouldn't crack right because it wasn't until they opened the grooves up that you got these really dynamic, big songs. And then when you play them on these big, huge sound systems, you know, it just gave you like the dynamics. Experience. Yeah, total difference. That's
2: different so experience. cool. I yeah. love that. I love that. Oh my God. Do you wish like more DJs played vinyl sets now or? No. No, I was gonna say I don't
1: think think I'm a tech person. I I like technology. Oh, nice. nice. I'm not old school, and in a way, shape, or form, it's like for me, if you don't progress, and the same thing like what I'm talking about with the book, if you don't progress and get to the next level, then you get stale, and not only do you get stale, it's like you get left behind, you know, because technology is going to keep evolving with or without you. You either come along for the ride or get off. (laughs) Seriously.
2: Yeah, Yeah, a lot of people don't get that. They're kind of stuck in what they've always done. I'm like, well.
1: People will come to me all the time. It's like, yeah, we we want you to come out to such and such place or whatever. And we're going to do like an all vinyl set. And I'm like, well, you don't want to book me because I don't play vinyl. (laughs) That's awesome. Last time I played vinyl was like 18 years ago. (laughs) I don't do that anymore. (laughs) probably oh, man, being like don't you love like, the feel like, and this <laughs> and that i'm like no, no. <laughs> i used to love it back when i mean because if you think about it you are limited to picking up a, a stylus a needle putting it on a record and just letting it play for the most part yeah you could speed yeah. it up or slow it down but that's pretty much all you're gonna do unless you scratch if you're a scratch dj like hip-hop then you can do that but yeah. other than that that's all you can do with vinyl <laughs> that's I mean, true. With, a, with a cdj I can do 10,000 different things and play it any way I want to and whatnot that you just can't do on a a turntable. So why should I limit myself to only having to play one way? You know, it's like another thing, too. People have all these different kinds of mixers and stuff, and they're just like, oh, well, this this one sounds better than this one. And this I was like, yeah, but nothing can touch a Pioneer. Pioneer, That's the reason why Pioneer is state-of-the-art. I can do things with a Pioneer that I can't do on any other mixer. Oh, you know, what yeah. I was like, well, if you're a DJ, you should be able to play on anything. I was like, I never said I couldn't play on it. <laughs> I said I prefer not to. <laughs> I'd rather be able to. I'd rather be able to be me and give you the journey and the experience that I know I can give you with the equipment I need to do that with, as opposed to just playing. Because I don't just play record. I don't just play music. Most DJs, that's what they do. They have no clue about understanding how to program it, how to add peaks and valleys and take people on a journey and add things to it that weren't supposed to be there in the first place. You just totally remixed it and changed it and whatnot. And if you don't have those kind of skills, then yeah, playing vinyl is okay because you're not doing anything. You know?
2: We've come uh, so far. Huh? Yeah, <laughs> That's too funny. Um, you've got a radio show. That's been running mm-hmm. for a long time. How
1: long? Gosh, I started <laughs> the Global House show back in, I think it was 1997. Wow. Out of Germany. We did it out of Cologne. Oh, cool. On a station called Evo Sonic, which was the first satellite broadcast station for electronic music.
2: Very cool. That's awesome.
1: Yeah.
2: Has it been kind it's of evolved different? evolved
1: so much. It's, yeah, it's like evolved say. so much from it. It's just like it's
2: crazy. Has it been but kind of different now that mm-hmm. you're kind of not able to perform live? Has it been a different no, experience? Not really.
1: I mean, it gave me a chance to finish the book. I mean, I had been working on this thing for five years or well, four and a half <laughs> years at the time. And and it wasn't that, well, there were there were times when I just didn't do it. You know, yeah, I just tuned out of it and other things were like important, but I started on yeah. it five years ago because yeah. I got the idea to have other people stories as a feature in this thing five years ago. So I started collecting stories from people and I just kind of tucked them away and every now and then I come back and I get more stories and I tucked it away. And then I think about it in probably January, I really started looking into trying to them together and see what I could make out of. It. I still had no clue as to yeah. what it would be though. I didn't know what kind of book it would be, how it would be formatted, what chapters, or even if I even have chapters, because originally I thought I was just gonna put a bunch of stories in a right? book. Because <laughs> yeah. what I was trying to do is just do write another book or have <laughs> another book that I didn't have to write. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right? I'm not a writer. And I keep telling people this. They want to call me author and this. I'm like, I am not a writer. That's not who I am. I'm a person that has ideas and I'm creative and mm-hmm. I want to do things in a different way. And I mean, I've been this way since the beginning. If I never want to do anything conventional. To me, conventional is just boring and stale the whole nine yards. If I can't add some flavor or, or twist it and turn it a different way, then I'm just not interested. Right. right. And... So for me, it was kind of like, okay, I want to give a different perspective. I want these to be people that nobody else knows anyway. I want these to be real people that actually came to these parties and events and actually found about it from their friends. And they they traveled in in like little cliques or you know organization went to this party and went to that party and they they never really got to meet. Me or anybody other DJs, they know of us because they see us on the posters and the flyers, but they don't know us. Right. I, I really wanted these to be people who were just regular, everyday, ordinary people in their stories, right? So after I started getting a getting a semblance of how I wanted the stories to formulate through the book, I um, I was I think an, an Australian writer by the name of J B Macaulay actually came to chicago for our event we do a big festival there every year the chosen few house festival whatnot and he came one year and wrote this like amazing story about it you know and we just started talking after that and i picked his brain one day and i said well i want to do this book but i have no idea how to get into it and really make it a literary work as opposed to just a book of stories right and he said, he gave me some ideas. We threw ideas back and forth. And originally, I was like, you know what? Why don't you write this thing with me, right? <laughs> and, but as I got into it, I started feeling like, no, I'm getting an idea now of what I wanted to do. So I started it as a project that would start at the beginning of House and you know go through up until today. And I'd write chapter headings and stories and things like that that would kind of set up the stories that I would put behind it. So now I had an outline what I wanted to do right but I still didn't really know and as I went through and I started to read the stories I could you know sort them out what chapter they should go in and so on and so forth but I still didn't know where the book would actually start and where it would end it's kind of like I had all of the middle but I didn't have a beginning and an end which is really backwards because you always should have a starting point right so once I got an idea of putting the stories in and I read through it from where I started. I said, There's something missing from this thing. It's like, and not only is it something missing that would actually tie this whole thing together, it's something that no one's really explored before. Because I can write, or I wrote 95% of the book on my own from my own experiences but there was 5% of it that I actually had to go back and research and figure out. And I mean like really in-depth research because there's just not a lot of information out there about it. And that was where disco or tech actually came from. Nobody has really ever tackled that whole thing. Mm-hmm. It's like nobody can even really say what was the first disco record or what, you know, anything. Now, what does that have to do with house? Well, obviously disco is the forefather of house music and where, where it started. So for me, that whole journey was incomplete without figuring out where this whole thing came from, right? Mm-hmm. So I went back and I, I listened to like hundreds and hundreds of records and things that came out back then, everything, Motown, the Beatles, Sly and the Family Stone, just everything that was like, had any kind of dance ability or mm-hmm. something that made you get up and want to move your body or whatever. And what I found was there were a lot of records that – you might never pay attention to that have been hits that you would know, but Mm -hmm. you never looked, or I never looked at them that way. It's like being proto disco is the word that I use for pre disco, Mm -hmm. but something that was a prototype to, to disco becoming a genre or whatever it was. So I looked at this. And the first thing I discovered was that in 1969, the, the duo of Gamble and Huff, which is known for the Philly International, you know, record label and whatnot, actually put together a band which would later become known as, as MFSB, which is Mother, Father, Sister, Brother. And they had a rhythm section of Earl Young on drums, who's known as the, the godfather, or the father of, of the disco beat kind of thing, right? and. Rhythm section, guitar, bass and keyboard playing and, and strings, because back in those days they used real strings and stuff and horns. But there was a core of like four guys. It was that rhythm section that played on all of that stuff. That's yeah. why, if you go back and listen to it, it all has a similar undertone, mm-hmm. like that straight, just like house does. You know it's going to start with the four floor, it's going to have that "os,s, otz" thing. it's mm-hmm. just going to keep going. Well, that beat started back then. It wasn't as defined. But it was still something that you could put your finger on and say, this is something here, right? So as they went along, and the OJs actually, you know, were the first group that you, that I really saw them as the catalyst to move it along in, terms, in that direction, so to say, right? But then I went back further, and I started listening to Beatles songs, and I was like, <laughs> well, wait a minute. Beatles actually have some, like, kind of four on the floor, yeah. you know, stuff <laughs> like that. I was like, what? So then I'm looking look at it, Sly and the Family Stone, and you think it like that dance to the music. If that if that didn't have that snare on that tat and tat and beat, it would be a straight four on the floor, <laughs> straight, you know, electronic organ sounding everything, right? Mm-hmm. And so again, there are a lot of things obviously that I explored that I looked through, but having noted all this, I still couldn't really pinpoint where it where it was. So I started to define it by what became. The standard of disco in the mid '70s, like you know, "Love Is the Message," which again is another MFSB record, another Philly Soul international thing. But that has become for DJs and anybody in that era, from Studio 54 to all these other places, that became the standard of what a disco song was. So, I know in 1974 that record was actually released. So, if I trace back to that and look at the elements and the people that made those songs and what they were doing. Now I can start to put together like how it started to unfold. Anyway, make a long story short, that took me forever to do that (laughs) chapter, (laughs) one chapter, right? And I was just like sitting up here because I I would get frustrated at the fact that I would keep finding these new songs and new (laughs) records that, you know, could possibly be the beginning. And I started, which made me start asking the question, well, what was the first disco record? Could it be this one? Could it be that one? Could it be this and that? And as I, as I got into it, I started saying, oh, now I can like really build some intrigue in this first chapter. And that's how, <laughs> how it formulated. So I won't disclose the rest because, you know, people go out and read it and find out for yourself. But that was how I ended up starting it and beginning it where, where it started, so.
2: <laughs> Absolutely. What's it like having a day named after you? You have a day named after you in I the city of Chicago. Yeah, I have a few. <laughs> <laughs> I have
1: about What's nine it like? at this point. Oh my
0: God. <laughs> That's amazing.
1: I have two in Chicago, one wow. by the state of Illinois, one in Albuquerque, New Mexico, one in San Francisco, one in Seattle, one in Los Angeles, one in Vegas. And one in San Diego.
2: You celebrate all of them, right? Yeah.
1: I don't know. I mean, the honor, it's great when they do it. Yeah. But it's not like something you really think about. Like every year I don't say, oh, this is my days coming up. I need to, although I probably I totally should. Would. Now that you said something, totally I'm like, would. maybe I should do that. <laughs>
2: That's 100%. I would do that. Right? So yeah, let's do it.
1: Okay. <laughs> Well, I'll go back and figure Feel. out what those days are. Okay, good. Put them on
2: the calendar, <laughs> share it with me, and uh, we'll party. It's fine.
1: Right, <laughs> there you go.
2: Um, then where can our listeners find your book? It's called In Their Own
1: Words. In Their Own Words on Amazon. Awesome. We're only available on Amazon platforms. Awesome. Why? Because it's easy to do, and I don't have to do anything but put it up there, and they do everything else. Exactly. They print on demand. They do the ebook. You know the whole nine yards. So (laughs) it was enough trying to put this thing together. Because I'm telling you, once I finally got to a point where I felt I was done and I was Mm -hmm. finished, I didn't want to see this thing ever again. I didn't want (laughs) to touch it, think about it, nothing. I mean, that's how much intense it got. Oh yeah. Oh, I believe it.
0: And now we're like, you know, hey, can you talk? Now it. we're asking you. Like- right. I mean, it's easy
1: now. Yeah. But I look back like on my first book, I had a publisher. So they did everything. I didn't know what it took to do all of this stuff. And this time I decided I just wanted to do it myself, you know, so I could control everything. Because one of the problems with having a publisher is they pretty much control where it goes and how it goes right. and this and that. And I, I've yeah. never done that with anything, including my music in mm. my entire career. So yeah. it's hard to like, just relinquish the reins yeah. like that to somebody. And, and, and then they don't really pay much royalties. I mean, yeah. royalties are okay, but you know, they're probably like a, a minute fraction of what I'll be able to do on this thing, which then oh, exactly. makes it worth it. You exactly. Know?
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Exactly.
1: So yeah, go to Amazon. We're still number one.
0: Yes, <laughs> awesome. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time
2: tonight. Yes, sure. I think we no can both problem. say that we're very humbled to be able to speak with you.
1: Oh gosh, it's, that's it's huge honor. I'm nobody. <laughs> I keep. You know, you I am nine saying? days. <laughs> to you capture
2: me. I'm nobody.
1: <laughs> right, but but you know, it's like I've done thousands of interviews, right? And the one common thing that happens with a lot of them is they say, oh, you're a nice guy. And I'm like, like what really? is that <laughs> supposed to be? You know? <laughs> and they're like, oh, well, generally when you, you do somebody that's like a, an icon or a legend like you are, they're full of themselves. And this. I'm like, that's so stupid to me. It's like, right. why would I be like that? Right. know? Like, well,
0: Who wants to work with that person?
1: <laughs> well, not only that, but, but I, I look at it from the perspective of I started this when I was a kid. Right? Yeah, yeah. So from my perspective, I'm still a kid in my grandmother's basement trying to figure out how in the world I ever got here. Cause think about <laughs> it. When, when you're stuck in that environment, nobody knows you. Well, I won't say the right, cause I was still a DJ at that time, but I was still <laughs> like, I mean, I was known in Chicago, yeah. right? the people, but nobody knew that I was making music, mm-hmm. making tracks making records. Nobody knew anything until it actually happened. But for me, actually creating it was a very lonely experience, you know, by myself. So I have nothing to measure what success would be at that point, right? So when people are talking about, I mean, because right after I released that maybe four or five months, maybe a little bit after that, Mm -hmm. I did an ABC TV interview, like Channel 7 in Chicago. And to me, I was just like, you all want to put me on the news? Really? (laughs) Like, why? (laughs) You know. (laughs) And then when you hear... You hear it on the radio and you've been listening to the radio all these years and listening to everybody else's song and you hear yours on there. It's just like, wow, why are they playing my, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's still kind of like weird to hear yeah. something that you've done broadcast to millions of people, you know? Mm-hmm. And then it's like when, when the the whole thing starts to build and there becomes a movement and next thing you know, you're on the charts in London and it's thinking like well how in the world did it get to London you know right. remember we don't have internet at this point right yeah this is like That's all crazy. physical shipping yeah. and distribution and phone calls and stuff you know right. so the the fact that anything got anywhere else was a miracle unto itself right <laughs> so all of these things that are happening and the next thing I know you know we're getting stuff over there and then they're wanting you to come over and play and it's like and I'm just sitting here. How is how did all of this happen? I still to this day I'm still wondering how did it happen? So how can I be yeah. egotistical about something that I had no inclination whatsoever would ever even happen? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And it,
2: yeah, I just true. don't
1: get how how people are like it. Just doesn't, it doesn't doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. You no. Know?
2: That's fine. Well, we love you either way. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> You're awesome.
1: Well, well, thank you. I appreciate that. But it's it's been an interesting ride.
2: Yeah, know? I'm sure.
1: I'm and sure. and people also ask me, like, how does it feel to do that? I'm like, Well, I don't do anything <laughs> different or normal. I'm a regular person. I still eat and sleep and go to the bathroom and mm-hmm. hang out with friends or have a barbecue or you know, like anybody right. else does. So it's kinda like it feels like well, but I'll tell you the the difference that I have noticed that I do notice throughout my career is that my life and the way I live it obviously is pretty different than most people because A, I've never had a job in my life, never had to, you know, never wanted one, (laughs) you know. (laughs) And the fact that I've been actually able to make a career out of this and live off of and everything is amazing. And I see that that's hard for a lot of people to understand because they've had to work and go to school and do stuff like that. And I just never had to do that. So I started to comprehend that more it was never something that I I needed to comprehend. But as I talk to people and I understand their plight, especially other artists that want to become musicians or artists and things like that, well, they have to go and earn a living and pay bills. And then they on the side, they can possibly work on their music or whatever. it's like, I don't know what that's like. I've been able to do that 24 seven, if I want to, you know, and, I I came in at a time where there wasn't a whole lot of competition. So I don't have Mm. to fight through the noise and the madness to try to get noticed. It's like, I'm already there. So from that standpoint, it's kind of a more of a, a weird place to be in terms of normal life for people. So I've had to actually really, put myself in other people's places to see what the difference is. And and then it made me realize that like, yeah, I guess I have had, you know, a special life in a way. Because again, I don't look at it that way. Mm-hmm. I think it's just the way I've lived. Just, just what happened, life, yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> I love that perspective. That's very, very mm-hmm. cool. Yeah. <laughs> yep.
0: All right. Well, um we will let you get back to your Friday night. Um, I'm not <laughs>
1: doing anything <laughs> I'm not doing I was driving I had I had a, a girl I was hanging out with and I had to drop her at home and oh, I was just nice. like you, God, you know what just, let me just you're drive such a back gentleman, home like it's you. <laughs> can
2: anybody drive you
1: know, me anywhere you know that's that's most of our conversation too that we have with each other how like most guys aren't that considerate and they nope. don't even open the door for you nope. or this and i'm thinking to myself my mother would roll over in her grave she thought i didn't open the door for a woman you know <laughs> it's just amazing right. to me
2: seriously <laughs> it's rough out there
1: i see i'm it's noticing and I'm, and I'm just thinking like god what kind of what kind of men are being raised you know by parents these days
2: i have so many opinions on that i'm not even
0: going to touch we're not going to air those okay
1: well, well let, let me interview you now i can't <laughs> this talk turned about a different podcast
0: uh, right
1: <laughs> i mean I'm, I'm really i'm really curious about that because i've never personally i've never thought of not being there i mean it doesn't yeah. matter whether you're my girlfriend a date my sister my mother a friend it doesn't matter just the fact that i've seen guys like just go to the door and rush ahead of them and open it and just walk through it and i'm sitting there thinking like <laughs> what did you just do it's like you don't even know what you just did and then right. like if you say something to them they're just like what what do you mean
2: uh, no, so they no don't clue. even have a clue <laughs> no clue <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Like, my Amazing. dog even waits to go in the door behind me. Like,
1: right. <laughs> come on. Come on. Yeah. I'm like, what What world are we living in now? I don't know. You
2: know? I don't like. Get me out of here.
1: Right. And then you think about, like, all the things that are going on, and you wonder how those things happen. Well, there's your answer right there. Nobody yes. has any respect anymore for anybody. Yes. It's yes. real simple. Exactly. <laughs>
2: exactly. Oh, man. Yeah.
1: Right. That's the world we live in. I know. <laughs> I hate it here. <laughs> where are you going to go? Actually, I have a project.
2: I don't know. Check this
1: out. You'll like, you'll like this. You'll like this one. Check this out. I have a project I've been working on for about five years, too. It's called Sustenance, yeah. right? And basically what it is, is an arts and music community mm-hmm. that's off the grid, oh. totally sustainable, okay. solar-powered, septic system for waste, water well you know the whole nine yards but it's built into like an outdoor amphitheater what? a healing center for like oh. spiritual healing for, for reiki with massage yeah. whatever oh. uh living quarters can be whatever you want to live in it could whether it's an rV an airstream a tiny home or you know a yurt whatever it is i'm one
0: of those and, tiny home
1: people <laughs> 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 yeah and you just you don't pay to live there. You just support the community in whatever it needs. So, like, if you have skills as being an electrician then you just work on the electric side of stuff and everybody contributes to it with an organic farm and blah, blah, blah. So there's plenty of food and everything for everybody to be sustainable. And that was the whole idea of just, you know, the, the starving artist thing has always bothered me. Why hmm. you have to do things to try to do this just to do the things that are creative to you in the first place. This should be natural. So let's take that element out there where you don't have to worry about how you're going to live. And all you to do is worry about how you create. So that was the whole that concept. That's
2: so cool. Wow. Mm-hmm. That is awesome.
1: I'm actually no, going to, to look at some <laughs> land. Well, I'm actually going to look at some land tomorrow. Wow. I've been actually exploring for the last couple of years, trying to find the right place and where to do it in the whole nine yards. And I found where I want. And originally we we're just going to do the land and Mm. just build up from the land or whatever we're going to do now i've decided to kind of like we should buy like a ranch that's already has like electric and power you know water and whatever in place and build upon that infrastructure as opposed to like trying to do the whole thing ourselves so
2: that makes sense that is so cool i can't wait to Mm. see what happens with wow You'll have to update yeah. us on that. That is so cool. I've
1: been working on it forever. You can go, if you go to sustenancecommunity.com, you can see the basic outline of it.
2: Awesome. I will. I will have to do that. <laughs> yeah.
0: Thanks for taking time out of your day to go ahead and check out our interview with Jesse Saunders discussing the In Their Own Words book. To go ahead and get a copy of the book on Amazon, just go to link.thedanetwork.com slash Jesse, J-E-S-S-E, and it will take you right to the page to go ahead and grab a copy of his book. Nikki and I took the time to go ahead and read it, and I highly suggest checking it out. It is a must for anyone that listens to our network, really. All people can really benefit from checking it out. There's so much emotion that was put into the book from all of these different perspectives, and it was really a treat to read. In our next episode, we'll be chatting with Russell Brunson on Instagram traffic. Thanks for taking time out of your day to share in the love of music. Until next time.